Welcome to the VU Church Podcast. Today, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. kicks off a new collection of talks, Christ in Crisis, the God who understands us more than we know. He knows our fears, our doubts, our hopes, our dreams. He knows the things that we struggle with, even when we don't fully understand them ourselves. In the midst of our difficulty, Jesus is close. In this message, God knows. We explore three keys to shift our perspective during hard times. If you'd like to stay up to date with this collection of talks, subscribe to the podcast. Now let's lean in to the message together. Um, Hebrews chapter four is where I want you to turn. Uh, Today we're starting a brand new collection of talks entitled Christ in Crisis. And uh, for the next few weeks, uh, I'm going to be speaking on this subject. And I think it's going to be an encouraging collection. I think it's going to be one that God's going to meet us. And uh, we're going to discover some things about who he is right in the midst of our pain, right in the midst of our challenges, right in the midst of our crisis. And uh, today, it really is just the introduction message, but I think it's going to lay a foundation because so much of what I wanna talk to you about for the next few weeks is really coming from this foundational passage found in Hebrews chapter four. Uh, Hebrews is uh, the book of the Bible that we don't know who wrote it. Um, It's one of these books that really draws on the Old Testament and uses Old Testament pictures of God and then throughout the entire book reveals that that's who Jesus is. And Hebrews chapter four really starts to talk about Jesus being our high priest but it's gonna lean into something that makes him so much different from every high priest in the Old Testament. What makes him truer, what makes him better, what makes him more effective. So let's look at Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. It says this. It says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I love this passage of scripture, and today I'm hoping that I can make it come alive, not just in your mind, but even in your heart. And uh, for the first installment of this collection, I titled today's talk, God Knows. Look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, God knows. Look at your other neighbor and say, other neighbor, you're just as important. You're just my second choice. But look at him and say, neighbor, God knows. God knows, God knows, God knows, God knows, God knows. And if I can get you walking out of here with one thing, it would be that you'd step into this next week knowing God knows. You ever have just one of those kind of weeks that you're going, why does life have to be so difficult? I had one of those kind of weeks. Uh, Last Sunday, uh, if you forgot, was Easter. Glory to God in the highest. Uh, it, was, it was epic. I mean, I think we use that word a lot, but 
that was one of those moments for the story of Vu Church. Close to 9,000 people in church last Sunday. Can we make a little bit of noise? What? What? In Miami? We're competing with the beach, yo. Almost 9,000 people in church. Hundreds of people gave their life to Jesus. Really special historic day. And uh, man, just all of it. I, I can't thank the teams enough from Good Friday to the egg drop. I mean, it was just a full on Easter extravaganza. And you know, I preached four times. I cried in every service. I got done. I'm like, I'm emotionally unstable, you know? And, I was so excited because we had planned a little intimate dinner at my house. I had some guests over, some people that really I was just getting to know. I didn't really know them personally, but I finally sat down for this dinner. My wife put together and some of our team helped us do it. And I was so excited. There was candles lit. And I'm just like, so, I'm, like I'm about to just do you know, the sigh of relief. Like, ah, oh, we got through Easter. And I'm eating my meal when all of a sudden I'm talking to this guy that I don't know very well, but I just had this overwhelming feeling of sickness come over my body. And you ever like been like, you know, in a conversation, but you're not really in the conversation. I'm like, I have to get up. I have to get up. I have to get up. And, and, and finally, after holding as much as I possibly could, I said, hey, can you, will you excuse me for a moment? I went into the bathroom. I'll spare you the details. Um, but I didn't come out of the bathroom until Wednesday. I got the flu. And you know, when I get the flu, I am, anyone like me that you're pathetic when you have the flu? Like, you don't want to be around me when I'm sick. I'm like, oh, I'm like moaning and calling upon God, you know, quoting Jesus from the cross. Eloah, Eloah, lama sabachthani. That's like, Rich, you're not Jesus. Chill, okay? <laughs> Guys, I was so, so sick. And so I, I find myself, I have to leave the party. I left. I never came back. People are like, where'd he go? It's like, oh, he's not well. And I'm in bed just like, this is not how I want the day to end. This week is a big week for our family because uh, my brother-in-law is getting married on Tuesday. Praise God, if you don't know, David D. Miracles still happen. And so David D. serving at Design District right now. But thank God, thank God. He, thank you, Lord. You're such a good God that you, you met him in his time of need. He, he desperately has needed a spouse. And uh, all of our family, the Duran family, is descending upon Miami. And so we have been in a backyard you know, renovation. I've been trying to get the backyard ready and we're like down to the wire trying to get everything ready because all the 15 cousins and children are about to be here. And so we are on a timeline. But if you know, last week while I'm sick, there's also this like torrential judgment of God rainstorm. <laughs> it stops all construction. So everything is ceased. The backyard's a mess. We have an album recording, which I'm highly involved with, but I'm just completely disengaged for the first three days. I finally get myself up out of bed on Wednesday to show up. Praise God for the best team ever. They did awesome, but it wasn't with any help from me because I was just, I was there, but I wasn't there. Only to have to fly Thursday morning to Atlanta with Don Cherie to speak at a conference with some of our heroes. But the conference was unique because we were speaking with some of our heroes in the faith. And the conference was speaking Speaking on speaking, teaching on teaching. We want you to preach about preaching. Doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but to me, I'm like, I don't know how to preach on preaching. I don't know how to talk on talking. But it wasn't just that. They wanted Don Shree and I to do that together, tag team, which you're like, that's not a big deal, Rich. It is a big deal. 
Because when my wife and I have to teach together, that means we're gonna need counseling after our sermon because the level of intensity and collaboration is gonna require psychiatric therapy and an intervention because we might make it look easy, but it is hard. So somehow we got ourselves through it, only finally to fly home. Yesterday, I'm on the airplane. I'm like, I gotta bring a word to church. I gotta, I gotta bring a word, man. This is post-Easter. I need to bring a word. And so I'm on my computer typing and just the fire of God's filling me on that airplane. I am weak, but he is strong. I am foolish, but he is wise. And wow, 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 rhema, rhema, rhema. Boom, I'm just lighting up the keyboard only to get off the airplane, get home, open up my backpack to pull out my computer to continue this glorious rhema word. Oh, I left my computer on the airplane. All you can do is say, why God? <laughs> Sometimes life can feel like you're swimming upstream. Sometimes life can feel so difficult it can be so full of opposition. Now today, I'm slightly kidding. I'm a very blessed man, very happy man, very thankful man. All the things I'm talking about, in many ways, they pale in comparison to what some of you are under right now. In many ways, what I'm talking about, this stuff, this is, this is small, really, really small. Some of the stress that's in this room, some of the overwhelming emotions that many of you are going through even online right now, anxiety and depression. Some of us are in real crisis right now as I speak. Life is difficult. Life is hard. At Voo Church, we have a motto and we say the best is yet to come. That's a hope-filled, Christ-centered statement that we declare because we believe in eternity. But how many of y'all know, on our way to eternity, we have to deal with reality. Last night, I put up a post just that I'm praying for people. And if you have a prayer request, let me know your prayer request and we'll pray for you. And man, the amount of comments that came in and the amount of challenging situations that people put on my feed are heavy. One woman wrote that just three weeks ago, she was on vacation with her husband. And on vacation, her husband dropped dead. Another person said, my two-year-old is going through cancer. Will you, will you pray for us? Sometimes when I just hear the stories of people, I'm just going, man, life is challenging. How many of y'all know, Shh, stuff happens. <laughs> Sorry for all the religious people. I mean, it, 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 stuff happens. Think about all of the difficult things that humans go through. We get disappointed. We fall short. We get rejected. We get heartbroken. We get betrayed. We get denied. We get fired. We get evicted. We get criticized. We get misunderstood. We get marginalized. We get overlooked. We get worried. We get afraid. We get anxious. We get depressed. We get hurt. We get sick. We get abused. We get lost. We get tired. We get weary. We get confused. We get stuck. We get abandoned, we lose loved ones, we die. Life is full of adversity. Suffering comes for all of us. If you haven't suffered yet, don't worry, just keep living. Because it comes for all of us. Now, oftentimes I, I step back in amazement. You ever do this? You ever just step back 
in amazement at the resiliency of some of the people that you know? Some of the stuff that what people go through and somehow they're able to bounce back from it. I find strength in watching people from our very community. I've watched people serve faithfully as they're going through cancer treatment. I'm like, how have you mustered up that type of strength? How have you found that type of audacity in the midst of adversity? One of my really good friends who's a part of our church, Richard Manna, um, we could pray for Richard right now because he's back home in his hometown of Australia as his dad has uh, been given a very short time to live due to cancer. But, but Richard, uh, a couple of years ago, told me a story about his cousin. His cousin, in many ways, went through a modern-day Job experience where one day he sent uh, three of his six children out to get ice cream on a Saturday early evening afternoon, walking down the street at 5 p.m., and as they were walking to go and get ice cream, a drunk driver three times over the limit came out of nowhere speeding and ran over four children, three of which were his, lost in a moment. He lost half of his family in a moment. And it caught national attention in Australia and they came with the newscasters and they said, what do you wanna to say to the drunk driver? And somehow in that moment, Richard's cousin said, we want to say we forgive you. To the point that when they said this, everybody was so confused and perplexed, it caught such national media attention that every year now, on February 1st in Australia, it's called I Forgive You Day. Because the revelation that they had was is that forgiveness is less about the person being forgiven and more about the forgiver. And Richard asked his cousin, how on earth are you able to keep going? He said, I don't know. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It was Nietzsche who said, to live is to suffer. To survive is to find some meaning in the suffering. I couldn't agree more. My good friend, Luke Berry, who leads all of who worship, I heard him say one time that human beings are meaning machines. That to be human means that you have to bring meaning to the mundane things of life. We have to bring a point to all of our pain. In fact, come on, if there's no point to the pain, then why don't we just give up and die? But instead, as we bring purpose to the pain, it gives us the power to prevail. When I have a purpose and when I have a reason, I find an opportunity to keep going. Somebody say, God, give me a reason. God, give me a reason, give me a reason, give me a reason. I wanna to try to help give you a reason for the next few weeks. I want to give you a reason because if you get a reason, you'll get a revelation. If I can give you a point to your pain, if you can find purpose in the crisis, you're going to find the strength to keep on persevering. You ever see when you were a kid, these little inflatables that would have sand on the bottom and they would stand up at the same height as you and you would punch them. But every time you'd punch them, they'd fall to the ground, but they'd bounce right back up. 
I believe the spirit of God wants to do something so deep inside of you that every time life knocks you down, every time you face suffering, every time you face pain, you might fall down for a moment, but baby, you got bounce back power on the inside of you because you've got a reason. I've got a reason, I've got a reason, I've got a reason, I've got a reason. Anyone believe that God can use your season of suffering for his glory? Go ahead and give him praise in the city. Give him praise in Design District. Go ahead and give him praise right here in South Miami. He can take your sorrow and turn it into gladness. He can take your mourning and turn it into rejoicing. He can take your heartache and turn it into happiness. And friend, let me prophesy today, he can take your crisis and he can turn it into a great celebration. Go ahead and give God thanks all over the room today. God knows, God knows, God knows, God knows, God knows. What we have to learn is that in our moments of crisis, the enemy comes and lies to us and his biggest attempt in our pain and in our suffering is to isolate us. He wants to isolate you. He wants to isolate me. Some of you, the best decision you made all week was just coming to church. Logging on to YouTube. Because the enemy's great tactic in your season of suffering, in your crisis, is to leave you over and over again with this little phrase, this little sentiment, no one understands me. You ever felt that way? No one understands what I'm going through. Nobody on earth has ever gone through what I'm going through. That's a lie of the enemy. He, he uses this tactic. And the reason why he does this is because if he can isolate you, he can make you fall prey to the enemy who roars around like a lion. Don't get me wrong. One of the most annoying things in life is when you are suffering in a particular way and people who know nothing about your pain, try to weigh in and counsel you. I remember one of my good friends who's a pastor, his father went home to be with Jesus. And as he told me some of the stories that good intentioned Christian people came up to him and said in their attempt to counsel him or comfort him was just shocking to say the least. He's in his season of grieving and people would walk up to him and say, uh, don't be sad. You're going to see your dad again. I know, but I don't see him right now. Uh, you wouldn't mourn if you knew how happy your dad was. I know dad's happy. I'm not happy. God must have needed him more than you needed him. What? I need my dad. Rule of thumb. If people aren't asking for your counsel, don't give it. I remember when we announced to the church that Don Tree was going through infertility and our, our desire to have a child but uh, the inability to conceive a child. And it was just always surprising how so many people would want to come and they would, I know it was with a good heart, but they're not walking in our shoes. And if it's not invited in, it feels condescending and it feels like it's missing all of the sympathy and desire to understand what you're going through. So don't offer counsel to people who aren't asking for it. 
I've learned more often than not that the best thing I've learned to do when people are going through something that I don't really understand, more than my words, I simply offer my presence. Just be with them. I might not understand them, but the beauty of the God that we serve is that he does. Colossians 1.27 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in me is the hope of glory. Your words might not suffice, but your spirit speaks loud. When I don't have the words to speak, I let my spirit get loud because if I've given my spirit over to Jesus, it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's called the ministry of your presence. Just bring you to the table. The good thing for us who are Christians is that we don't necessarily have to understand or identify with what each person is going through in order to help or to console them. Why? Because Jesus understands. And this is really what we're trying to unpack today is that I might not have the words and I might not understand your exact crisis or your pain, but I don't have to understand it today because Jesus already does. Hebrews chapter four, verse 15. This is one verse from our text today. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. What this passage is saying is, is that Jesus gets you. Jesus understands you. God knows what you're going through. Don't by the lie of Satan that nobody understands. It might feel like this whole world has turned their back on you. It might feel like everybody around you doesn't get you, but please know there is one who sees you, gets you, understands you, has walked through everything you've walked through. This is very, very encouraging to all of us because there's nothing that I will ever go through that Jesus can't sympathize with or understand. And the theological doctrine that we land on today, because all of my living comes from my believing, and so before we get practical, let's get theological. The theological framework and the doctrine that we must lean into is probably the most amazing miracle of all. It's called the incarnation. And I, I leaned on it a little bit last week, but um, as we look at Hebrews 4, that's what we're celebrating, that Jesus is all God and all man. And the incarnation, by definition, is the act of God the Son, whereby he took himself a human nature. What a thought, that Jesus' birth was unique in the way that he was born to a virgin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in his mother Mary without the aid of a man. Jesus was conceived in a virgin and was virgin-born. The virgin birth of Christ seems to clearly display his deity since no other person had been born to a virgin. But it also displays Christ's humanity. Jesus did not descend from on high with no connection to humans. Instead, he was born to a human family just like every other person was born to humans since Adam and Eve. This is miraculous. This is astonishing. This is phenomenal that the God of the heavens of the universe stepped out of divinity, 
wrapped himself up in humanity and was born of a woman. He was made in the form of a human and he understands what it means to be a man. There's all sorts of biblical precedents and there's all sorts of scriptures that display Jesus' humanity. Just thought I would point out some for us because I think this is important that we, we learn this because in knowing this about Jesus, it helps me to believe in my crisis that he knows what I'm going through. Jesus claimed he had a real body even after his resurrection, Luke chapter 24. Jesus had human emotions. He was troubled in his spirit in John chapter 12. Jesus learned obedience through suffering, Hebrews chapter five. Jesus was weak from carrying his cross, Luke chapter 23. Jesus learned or increased in wisdom, Luke chapter two, verse 52. Jesus wearied from his journey, John chapter four. Jesus increased in stature, Luke chapter two. Jesus was hungry, Matthew four. Jesus was thirsty, John 19. Jesus wept, John 11. Jesus ate, Luke chapter 24. But Jesus's humanity was different from all of ours with one little fact. He was sinless. He did not sin. He never gave over to temptation. He had all the temptation. He had all the desires. Those all hit him at different moments, yet he overcame. In fact, last week on Easter, we didn't get into it, but he was judged by an earthly judge. And even that evil earthly judge said, I find no fault in this man. He is guiltless. Meaning they sent him to the cross knowing that he was guiltless as they did. He was sinless. You say, why did Jesus have to come in the form of a human? There's several reasons, but just a few so we have the right mindset when we think about the incarnation and why it was so important. The first is really simple, is that Jesus had to be a representative in his nature. So he needed to have man's nature so he could represent us appropriately. Remember the first Adam, that's in the garden, he's the one who introduced sin and the curse of sin. But what does Paul call Jesus? He calls him the second Adam. Because the first Adam brought death of sin, but the second Adam brought us the gift of righteousness. But he also had to be similar in his form because his form that he took on as he sacrificed, he was in the same form as that he was sacrificing for. Meaning according to the law, it was an eye for an eye. It was a tooth for a tooth. And you and I as sinners, human beings, we deserve death. And so God had to put on flesh and blood because in order to be a propitiation for our sins, an atoning sacrifice, he had to be in the exact same likeness as us. He laid down his life for our life. It was a life for a life. But the third reason was that he had to be human because of his role as mediator. Meaning, if he would have just stayed in his divine nature, he would never have been a sympathetic mediator on our behalf. You see, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and he mediates on our behalf. And he's, I love it, sympathetic. He doesn't judge you from a place of sitting on high. 
No, he walked amongst us that the word became flesh. And now from heaven's throne, he sits next to the father and says, no, I get them. I know why they did that. I know what it's like to be a human being, but I wanna remind you, dad, I already paid the price once and once for all. So when I read passages like Hebrews 4.15, that essentially is saying that he understands me and that God knows me, I quickly wanna go and do case study. I wanna figure out, does he really get me? I mean, this is 2023. Does he really understand the pressures and the adversity that I'm under? And so I, I, I called uh, our in-house professor, Dr. Alan Tennyson. I said, Dr. Tennyson, does Jesus really understand us? Does he really sympathize us with us? Does he really get what it means to be human? Does he really get my temptations? And we started going through it and we just started looking at the life of Jesus in the New Testament, case studies. He said, absolutely he does. From his birth, how many y'all know, Jesus, he understands poverty. He had no place to even be born. He was born in a barn. From Egypt to Nazareth, Jesus understands life change. From his temptation, Jesus understands personal struggle. From his miracles, Jesus understands pain. The woman at the well, Jesus understands hardship. The Pharisees and the disciples, how about this? Jesus understands being misunderstood. Rejection of his family, Jesus understands family drama. Jesus knows family drama. The death of Lazarus, I'm gonna talk about it in a couple weeks, Jesus understands personal loss. The crowd forcing Jesus to be king in John chapter six. Jesus understands danger of success. Judas, Peter, the fleeing disciples. Jesus understands personal betrayal. His arrest and trial. Jesus understands persecution and criticism. The cross and the tomb. Jesus understands death. The resurrection and ascension. Jesus knows that no crisis or distress, even death itself, is permanent. See, the enemy will lie to you and say, no one understands you, but you must know that there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Come on, somebody. He's the Messiah of the mess. He's the teacher in the trial. He's the Christ in the crisis. He's close to the brokenhearted. His name is Jesus, and you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him because God knows. Someone say, God knows. God knows, God knows, God knows, God knows. God knows, Jesus understands. For the next few weeks, I wanna give us case studies of how Jesus understands us. I'm gonna talk about Jesus understanding your anxiety. I wanna talk about Jesus understanding your disappointment of relationship pain. And I wanna talk about that Jesus understands grief, death, loss of people. But before we get there, today, I simply want to show you what my sermon is going to be for the next three weeks in a row. Because Hebrews chapter four is giving us this deep theological truth that God knows and God understands. So if I believe that, the question now is what do I do? And what you do is the same thing every time in every season of suffering, in every circumstance of crisis. And Hebrews four shows us the picture. The scripture says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
Number one, you hold fast. Hold fast. Since then, we have a great high priest. Jesus is your great high priest. God bless every background. God bless every movement of Christianity. But right here in Hebrews chapter four, there are no shots being taken. It's just the truth being proclaimed. You only need one priest. And his name is Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. You only need to confess your sins to one. There is only one who can forgive your sins. There is only one that you should repent to. And he has a name. His name is Jesus. There's no formula for your forgiveness. There's no seven steps, six things to say, but rather you confess to Jesus, the great high priest, and you are forgiven, you are saved. He is the great high priest. He is the one who creates access for us into his presence. And so I take that and the scripture says, hold fast to your confession. So when life is difficult, when you feel like you're upstream, when you feel like it's all coming against you, when you feel like it's all breaking loose, when you're saying, all I sense is opposition, all I sense is problem to problem. I don't even feel the highs. I know the song says highs and lows. What do you do when it's low to low, when it's valley to valley, when it's basement to basement? You hold fast to your confession. Hold fast is a sailor term. It's terminology that's used when you're out there on the sea. Hold fast. You have to bear down in your faith. You have to sturdy your faith because a storm is coming. I heard one preacher one time say, you're either headed into a storm, in a storm, or coming out of a storm. So what do I do in all of those moments? I hold fast. The word fast to a sailor means to do it quickly. Fasten the line, sturdy the line, secure the line, steady the line. We need to be people that when it comes to our confession, when it comes to our faith, we stabilize it, we sturdy it, we get there quick, we get there fast. Rich, what does it mean to hold fast to our confession? What is our confession? Is our confession look in the mirror and I'm special? I'm somebody, and doggone it, people like me. No, 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 this is not a self-help message. That's not what we offer today. That's not our confession. This isn't just blind optimism. Our confession is what I believe about Jesus. Not what I feel about my circumstance. Not what my emotions are telling me right now. Not even what the facts around me say. It's not facts that bring you freedom, it's truth. And the truth is he is my great high priest. He paid the price for all of my sins, all of my shame. He has forgiven me. I am the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. I am more than a conqueror. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I'm a hold fast to my confession. You see, your confession has to be stronger than your circumstance. I remember one time Dakota Duran, who's over there in the city today, I think it was like year two of Who Church, we used to have this little HQ, little office space over there on Northwest 2nd Avenue uh, near uh, iTech Auditorium. And 
You know, used to come to work at Voo Church and you just never knew. Uh, it, w- it was like a, a test of faith just going to work because our cars would get broken into, cars would get stolen. And one day he had this little old, I don't know if he's even driving, but it was a beat up little car he was driving that first year at Vu. And someone had come through and it was just smashed his window in. I don't think there was anything even to steal. I think it was just mean people, you know, like, bro, if you're going to break the window, at least have something, you know, in there to steal. But they just shattered the window and uh, Dakota was just new on staff. And so he had to like tape the window up and at the moment couldn't afford to get a new window. And so it was just kind of, how do you say it? Like, uh, it was, it was busted and disgusted and it, it was bad. And I, I needed to ride home one day and I, I came out. I said, can I ride with you? He said, yeah. And we jump in the car and I sit down in the, in the front seat and this window's got duct tape. It's got like a paper sack on it. And we get in the car. I'm like, bro, you see your window dog? You know, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. And we start driving and it makes that annoying, kind of like annoying noise, you know? But as we, as we start driving, that old worship song, King of My Heart was on and it just came on and said, you know, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. You're... And I remember just having this like revelatory moment of driving in this busted up car. And at the top of the radio, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. And midway while we were driving, him and I just looked at each other and we just started singing it with it. The chorus goes, you are good, good, oh. And everything about the circumstance looks really bad. But this is what it means to hold on to our confession. It means when I'm in my busted up, broke down car with a duct tape window flapping in the wind, I'm still confessing out loud, God, you are good. God, you've never let anybody down. You're not gonna start with me. I'ma keep on confessing what I know is true despite my circumstance. your confession. Hold fast to what you believe. You did not come to church to hear something new. You came to church to be reminded of something you already know. I'm holding fast. I'm holding fast. I'm holding fast. If you come here looking for some new teaching, you're not going to get it. But what we are going to do is we're going to get up on this stage week in and week out and we're going to burn with the truth of Jesus Christ that you might be going through hell and high water but hunker down and fasten the line secure your faith He's a good God He knows He knows, He knows, He knows God knows what I'm going through God knows what I'm facing God knows what I'm up against He knows, He knows, He knows, He knows, He knows God knows, God knows, God knows, God knows Hold fast to the truth that God knows you better than you know yourself. Oh, I find great comfort in that. This God knows me better than I know me. Hold fast to the truth that God knows you better than you know yourself. Someone say, hold fast. Skipping down to verse 16, because we know that he is this sympathetic mediator, that he understands my pain. He's been tempted just like me. So he mediates on my behalf and he's sinless. So he is the perfect sacrifice. 
It's his life for my life. And he's in talking to the Father about me. So I hold fast. Skipping out of verse 16, it just tells you what to do. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Number two, get close. Someone say, get close. Hold fast. Get close. You see, crisis is always an opportunity to get closer to God. Always. Suffering usually leads people to Jesus or away from Jesus. I'm going to say something quite bold, but I firmly believe it. And some of you need to hear this. And some of it's a bit pastoral corrective-like, almost to a degree, potentially even rebuke-like. Some of it's just going to be warning for some of us, but you need to hear it because there's no middle ground with God. When you resist Jesus, you're running to Satan. And, 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 and storms and crisis and suffering and pain. It's amazing, right? Because you'll see some people just fully run into the arms of God, but you'll also see others run away from God. If God seems far away, guess who moved? What you find out about God is he's always at the bottom. He's always at the bottom. Sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to discover, oh, he's the rock at the bottom. If you'll just turn to Jesus, he's there. And your crisis is an opportunity to get close. Hold fast that God knows you, but get close that you might know God. Hold fast that God knows you, but get close that you might know God. Some of y'all need to get to know your dad. Some of y'all don't know your daddy. You don't know your father and your crisis and your pain and your suffering. Draw close, boldly, confidently approach the throne room of grace that you might get to know him. I promise you, it's your pain, it's your suffering. You're gonna discover something different about this God. You're gonna find out in your pain, yo, he's a restorer. You're gonna find out in your addiction, he's a deliverer. You're gonna find out in your sickness, he's a healer. He's a provider. You're going to find out in your eviction, he's a promoter. Draw close, draw close, draw close, draw close, draw close. Draw close. Hold fast, draw close. Hold fast, get close, get close, get close, get close. It's so funny. It's so funny. I got these little kids in my house and, you know, like, DC and I, we live on this one story house but on the side of the house it's cool like we have our own space praise God and we have this door that can be closed and usually if it's closed it means yo you can't don't come in but um you know my boys they don't respect that they, don't, they just boom they just barge in any time of the day at any they just burst in dad 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 hungry I'm hungry dad 
Dad, I'm thirsty. Dad, gotta go to the bathroom. Then go to the bathroom. They, they, they boldly approach me. They don't ever go, I wonder if this is too big or too small. Hmm. I'm not gonna bother dad right now. Uh, yes, I know how to use the restroom by myself, but man, it'd be a lot more fun with dad's help. Y'all, we got a, some of you are like, you're a bad parent. We got a lock on the door. But my kids, they're like feisty. That lock doesn't even stop them because we have a back door slider to go to the backyard. My boys, I locked the door the other day. My, my boys are smart and wise. They broke around the house, got in the back door going, Dad, why is the door locked? You see, they know their father. They know their dad. And can I encourage you, there has never been a day that your dad, your heavenly father has ever locked a door to his presence. He's just waiting on some of you to say, I'ma boldly come into that throne room and I'ma bring my mess, I'ma bring my crisis, I'ma bring my pain. I know my dad will listen to me. I'ma get close, I'ma get close, I'ma get close. I'ma get close, I'ma get close, I'ma get close. I hold fast that God knows me, but I draw close that I might get to know him. Draw close that you might get to know him. Lastly, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hold fast, get close, receive mercy. Receive mercy. That's what we'll preach for the next four weeks. We're gonna look at Jesus's life, but I'm gonna exhort you every week to hold fast, get close, Receive mercy. I read about this, um, this research that was done. It was called the SCAR experiment. I heard about it this past week and I found it fascinating. Um, this researcher took 10 people and um, put them in different cubicles and had no mirrors in the room whatsoever and uh, applied to each one of these people uh, a fake gruesome scar put it on their face and then quickly just pulled up a mirror and showed them what their face looked like and then put the mirror down and then said, oh, I got to fix something on the scar. Let me just make it and apply something. And they thought they were improving the scar or making it look worse, but instead they actually removed the scar. They then sent the 10 people out into society and asked them a simple question, see how people treat you. Well, all 10 people came back. And when they came back, they said, oh man, it was brutal out there. People were, were, were not nearly as kind as normal. People were rude. People were rude to us. And the other thing is the entire time people kept staring at my scar. Staring at your scar? The scar that doesn't exist? See, what happens to us in life is that many times crisis, pain, mistakes, areas that we fell short, we think that those scars are in front of everybody on display all the time. And what happens is, is what's on the inside of us gets projected onto the world outside of us. The scar had already been removed. They just did not realize it had been taken away. 
and their belief about their invisible scar was holding them back from moving into the big, beautiful world that God has created. Friends, please understand that if you're in Christ Jesus, you have received mercy, but it wasn't a one-time thing. The scripture says his mercies are new every morning. See, it's one thing to be in a storm. It's another thing when the storm gets inside of you. It's one thing to go through suffering. It's another thing when the suffering gets in you. It's one thing to be in crisis. It's another thing when crisis is inside of you. Because when it gets inside of you, you project it to those around you. But I want to encourage some people today that you can receive mercy for the day. And as you receive mercy, the scripture says, you're gonna find grace. Finding grace in this passage is important because grace has lots of different definitions. Most of us, when we think about grace, we only think about one definition, the unmerited favor of God. But there's another definition for grace, which is the empowerment of God. That when I'm weak, he's still strong. And so if I'll hold fast, if I'll draw close, the result is I'm going to receive mercy for all of my crisis, for all of my pain, for all of my scars. But not just that, I'm going to find grace, not just his favor. I'm going to find his empowerment, that his power is coming on my life, power to put purpose on my pain, power to persevere through the crisis, power to all of a sudden find peace in the midst of the storm. I'm a fine grace this week. I'm a fine grace this week. Why? Because God knows. God knows. God knows. Someone say God knows. God knows. God knows. God knows. God knows. God knows. He knows. He knows about your infertility. He knows about your doctor's report. He knows about your mistake. He knows about your issue. He knows about that quiet life of desperation that just feels like every dream has never worked out. He knows that you feel like a failure. He knows and he knows what it feels like. And he says, this is an opportunity. Hold fast to your confession. Know that I know more about you than you do. And draw close with a boldness like a little kid because you're going to discover something about me. And you're going to receive Mercy, mercy, I need your mercy. I was, uh, I'm closed, we're gonna sing, I'm gonna give it to you, Aiden, we're gonna sing something beautiful, and then maybe Adrian or Don Tree will come up here and close this, but um, I got a call from a good friend yesterday. This is the week, man. Sometimes life feels difficult. And uh, he's a pastor, great man of God. And he called me, said, can we talk? I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Last night. And he said, I just got off the phone with my dad. And he's been diagnosed with cancer. And they say he has a 50-50 um, chance at living. And he said, Rich, I just don't know what I'm going to do if I lose my dad. Every sermon I've ever preached, we talk through it. I talk to him every day. He's my best friend, best man at my wedding. I don't know how to answer that. I haven't lost my dad. I don't have good words, but I'm grateful that I know about Christ in crisis.
I'm grateful that I believe in a God who understands me more than I know. So what did we do? We just held fast to our confession. We just started speaking to one another the scriptures. By his stripes, we are healed. Our God can do it. Our God will do it. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't. And then we started to draw close. I said, let's just pray. There wasn't the keyboard. There wasn't all of you. We weren't even in each other's presence or proximity. We were on the phone. And we just started drawing close. We just said, let's get close. Let's get close. Jesus, can you do a miracle? Jesus, we believe that you are a healer. Jesus, we don't want our dad to die. Jesus, we hate cancer. We know you hate cancer more than us. God, do a miracle. And I'm not going to tell you that the seas parted. I'm not going to tell you that the heavens opened up and Gabriel with long, blonde, flowing hair. It wasn't that. But it was a calm confidence as his mercy reminded us of who we are in him. And we found grace for the day. Great grace. I can't give you grace for next week. I can... I can preach to you about grace for today. And tomorrow you got to get back up. And you got to hold fast. And you got to draw close. And you got to receive mercy. It's your daily bread. Do you believe it today? Come on, all of our locations. Come on, why don't we stand up on our feet? Let's give God a big shout of praise all over this house. Come on, let's really celebrate God. Can we go ahead and celebrate Him all over this place? Thank you for listening to today's message. At VU, we believe we weren't meant to do life alone. We've been created with a unique purpose and designed to live in relationship with Jesus. If you've never surrendered your life to Him, we want to create an opportunity for you to do so today. If you want to say yes to Jesus, would you pray this with me? Dear Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. I trust you with my past. I ask that you guide me in my present, and I even place my future in your hands. I'm yours, Lord, now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made the decision to follow Jesus today, we wanna partner with you in the next steps of your faith journey. Go to voochurch.com online. We love you.